Welcome to Higher ID, the podcast where we talk about all things instructional design and higher ed. We're your hosts, Christy J. Woods and Dr. Jess Seitler, and we are excited to bring you our next episode. Recently, we were asked to give a workshop on what instructional design in higher education looks like. We often get questions about ID work and thought it would be a great idea to make a podcast episode for folks interested in instructional design in higher ed. We'll talk about a day in the life of an ID and discuss tech and our faves about the gig. Yeah, so let's start off with what does an instructional designer do in higher ed specifically? So what are the things that you do kind of day-to-day, Jess? Um, I always start my day with emails. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> so I, I would say that there is a lot of communication in, mm-hmm. um, in instructional design, and that is emails back and forth related to my department with um, other parts of my team, like the D2L team or the video team, mm-hmm. as well as um, checking in with my SMEs, with my uh, with my faculty, um, answering questions or, or just sending them check-ins to make sure um, that we are ready to go for meetings or that sort of stuff. So I think my day typically starts off with emails. Yeah. Um, and then I book different parts of the day to different uh, par- different types of projects. Mm-hmm. If I have to do like high order thinking, I start, I mean, I'm a morning person. So I start off with like creative projects, writing and more fun things in the morning um, because that's when my juices are flowing. I've had really great coffee and I'm like, feel good. And I have a positive outlook. And so I start with those creative things first. Nice. Uh, and then, um, I often in the afternoon, um, have meetings somewhere. I have meetings with SMEs depending on their availability. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then if I'm doing design work, although that does require creativity, once I've established my, um, my templates and the structure of the course, once I've done the first module and kind of prototyped that out and got the SMEs approval, then, um, most of the rest of the design is pretty structured already. So I can do um, low stress design work in the afternoon where it's just like mm. re- repeating that structure and that flow and creating creating kind of that navigation and movement through the course um, yeah. for, the, for the students. So that's yeah. kind of a, that's a general a general outlook. I have other things that I do, but those are like some of the basics. Of course, we have meetings. Yeah. So lots of meetings. So, lots of meetings. so those mm-hmm. are the basics. What do your basics look like? Um, so right now I'm I'm an instructional design manager. So I actually have a lot more meetings than I used to have when I was just purely an instructional designer. Because um, when I was purely an instructional designer, I would meet with my SMEs. <laughs> and yeah. And like if I was on a project, I'd have a project meeting. You might have like a weekly or bi-weekly team meeting or something like that. But that was it. So I had a lot less meetings. Um now I'm on a lot more um like project and plan initiative meetings. I have meetings with my um supervisees. So I have a lot of one-on-ones um that happen and um and then of course meeting with SMEs. Um I like to meet with my SMEs weekly. Um, even if you yeah. don't really need the touch point, like, it's just nice to be like, Hey, <laughs> where are we at? What are we doing? Um, and I find, I don't know if you feel the same way, Jess, but our course development cycles are 16 weeks. And two of those weeks are, um, spent in training for the faculty. So they go through a training course on how to develop a course. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then they meet with us and then about a week and a half is spent on review at the end. So it's really quick of a course development process. And I feel like if you meet bi-weekly, it just, it has a potential to go really sour really quickly. Um, so I do more touch points that way too. Um, but yeah, it's usually some combination of meeting with people to either discuss a course or discuss a project or to supervise. Um, and then design work in some way. So that is 
um, taking, you know, reviewing content that faculty have given me and bringing it into the LMS, designing the structure of the LMS or the structure of the assignment, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I've been doing a lot more projects lately too. So we're actually in the middle of uh, a project on using student data for inclusion design, uh, inclusive design. And so mm -hmm. Um, doing some in-between work on what that looks like and how to best gather the data and things like that too. So um, I hear you on a lot of meetings and and actually that was like the biggest transition for me once I got into management I was like, whoa, it's a lot of meetings because <laughs> yeah. um, I'm in extended leadership meetings. I'm in leadership yeah. meetings for my team. I'm in um, steering committee meetings and um you know, campus-wide meetings and yeah, you just get put in a lot of different meetings and it's just with the purpose of making sure that people are communicating correctly and um, sharing information that needs to be shared across campus and, uh, and across units and creating some visibility for your team. That's a lot mm -hmm. of it. So um, yeah, lots of meetings for sure. But I, um, I wanted to chat too, and this is something that during the workshop that you and I um, really were intentional about distinguishing is that sometimes folks will think they're an instructional designer when they're not, or they'll think um, instructional design, like I, every time somebody talks to me, and this isn't like a negative thing. I'm just saying it's like a really common question. It's like, what tech do you use? And I think that there's so much more to instructional design, especially in, in higher ed than just being able to use tech. So like one of the things that I do a lot is alignment in courses. Yeah. And I feel like um, faculty are never taught alignment. Um, it's definitely more of like a K-12 thing is my yeah. understanding. And so you'll get faculty who have taught and taught and taught and are beautiful teachers, but they've never aligned their learning objectives to their activities, to their assessments. And so they're saying things like, oh, we're going to discuss about postmodernism or something. That's an example that one of my yeah. instructors just talked to me about. And I was like, okay, if you say you're going to discuss, now you have to give them an opportunity to discuss. So you can't say I'm going to discuss and then I'm going to give them a quiz. That's not how it works. So right. I think we do a lot more of like finessing with content and it has almost nothing to do with tech. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, Jess. Well, yeah, I have, I have a few thoughts. Um, definitely. I mean, do I use a lot of tech? I absolutely. But I just, I, I actually just had a conversation with one of my faculty members. I don't know, probably a month ago, we were getting close to finishing a course and she was um, newer to teaching online, although she's a fantastic in-person teacher. Mm -hmm. She was really um, trying to figure out how can, she can be fantastic online. And mm -hmm. so she went and um, asked all of her colleagues that are teaching in the same department what tech they use. Oh, yeah. And so we're at the end of this development and we had already pulled in some some really relevant tools. And um, she goes, oh, my friend, you know, my colleague uses this and she uses this and then they use that. And then they, she's like, I would love to add all these to our design. And I said, mm -hmm. whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. So we, what we really want to do is make sure the tech enhances the learning, not that the learning enhances the tech. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we talked about it quite a bit more. And I said, well, if we look at our clothes here, we want to discuss. So we really need to use a tool where we can discuss. And if that's already available um, within the LMS, what you really want to ask yourself is the value of taking it outside of the LMS. Is it there? Yeah. Or do you have tools like, do you, is it actually part of the LMS or do you have a tool that's like a peer review or similar to Yellow Dig where, you know, it's like a social learning, chatting, you know, mm -hmm. connecting type discussion tool. Um, so you really want to ask, you know, what is the learning objective and do I need tech to enhance that mm -hmm. to support student success? Um as well as relevancy to that objective. So I would say I absolutely do a lot of alignment. Yeah. 
And um, one other thing, so I don't probably have quite as many meetings as you do. I um, (laughs) (laughs) So many meetings. Yeah. um, I do have a lot of meetings, but some of those meetings are, you know, I would say 70% of my job is is designing and working with SMEs. And that entails that alignment, equality assurance, a lot of project management. I mean, that's like- Instructional design. Yeah. I mean, it is project management. That's what I was going to say. You can put project manager or instructional designer equals project manager. Basically. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, so I can't, I can't separate those two items while, um, project management in higher education is its own environment. Um, it's still project management, um, Mm. and really maintaining those relationships with me. So there is, there is a lot of communication depending on how you set up. Um, but I was going to mention that, you know, the other 30% of my job, I would say 10% is uh, professional development or I, yeah. I join, join committees on campus. Right now I'm in an AI um, work group on campus. And mm-hmm. that is for me to, one, connect with others on campus mm-hmm. about AI, um, but also to see how we can communicate and support faculty um, better in different areas uh, related to AI that, you know, that faculty are going to need by the fall. And so we're looking at ethics and syllabi and these different things that, you know, are, and in even um, what kind of moderate monitoring of AI there might be, because there's upcoming regulations and that sort of thing. So we're just looking at all those topics. So I do form a part of a couple work groups and, Mm -hmm. and that, that is um, distinct depending on where you work, you know, whether your department supports that my department does. Um, And so that helps me like be engaged with the actual university community and, um, one yeah. other thing I wanted to mention is like side projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I do get to get involved in special projects. Um, mm-hmm. And this would always depend on your department and your skill set. So yeah. um, like, what was I going to say? Like right now we're doing something called summer camp. Mm-hmm. And um, this is for our instructional designers, and this is for all of our instructional designers, in fact, but um, because we have a lighter load during the summer, mm-hmm. uh, our seniors, our instructional design managers created this thing called summer camp and all the instructional designers get to pick a topic or two that they work on in groups uh, with other instructional designers in our department, as well as across campus and um, work on these projects over the summer. And so this could be AI and instructional design or um, your portfolio or these different topics. So, I mean, that's a really great way to connect with your teammates, but also work on topics that you might be interested in. Mm -hmm. And, um, and lastly, just other projects, what I mentioned was skill set. Like one of my colleagues is really fantastic um, and has a lot of experience with storyline. And that's not necessarily common in higher ed. Uh, most of the classes I've ever designed have never used that or needed that. Right. Um, but she often gets, she gets special projects with using storylines. So um, like we've kind of discussed in um, some of our previous episodes, you can leverage your skill set mm-hmm. to support uh, projects, specific projects, if you're interested in them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think at like the core of the work in instructional design in higher ed, specifically, you're developing courses and or training. Yeah. The courses are usually for the students. You might have some courses for faculty um, and training is usually for faculty. Yeah. But as is exactly to your point, there is like, I have found in higher ed specifically, there is no end to the possibilities and the opportunities of things you can get involved in. Committees, projects, um, team projects, like, you know, um, creating team culture projects. There is literally, and and you can create them. So I think as, you know, typically as long as you're doing well in your job, supervisors, I think are game to say, hey, yeah, let's, let's try this out. Let's see how it works and see what you want to do. And 
I think you can really um, dive into things that are of interest to you. It helps you to stay on top of trends and current tech. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's lots to be done (laughs) for sure. But I think at the core of the work, it's like the designing and developing the courses. Absolutely. And I really like that you emphasize that as long as you're doing well um, with your projects, because that is one of the requirements of my department, you know, you have to, you really should be turning in, and this is actually any instructional design position I've held, uh, you really need to um, be completing your your builds Mm -hmm. uh, in a timely manner and doing them well um, to kind of create that space for you to have the opportunity to continue like growing and expanding your skill set as well as um, maybe your um, your kind of instructional design ecosystem on campus or off campus Um, you have to make space for that yeah. Um, and part of making that space is making sure that your primary, your primary job as an instructional designer is done well with, right. With, with confidence and, and, and that you're, that you're, you know, your bosses are happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do your job. And then you usually have some flexibility. I will say too, though, um, I've been on, in positions where um, I do sort of instructional design adjacent things, but that's part Mm -hmm. of my role. So depending on your team and um, how many hats you're wearing, so to speak, or how siloed your roles may be, you may also do other things beyond like course development and design. Mm -hmm. So I know that I, in my last position, I worked at an art and design college and I did like basic video editing and tech consultation. So I was in, you know, Camtasia and in Premiere Pro and doing mm-hmm. some really basic like cutting and adding intro and outro music and adding some really basic um, like pop-up content. Um, but that's not the case everywhere you're no. at. In fact, I don't um, do much video editing now where I'm at because we have a whole team that does video during and post production, I should say. They're a really great team. Um, so I don't do that video editing anymore, but I have that skill set now because I've done it in one job. Right. <laughs> so if if another physician was like, Yeah, we want some video editing experience, I have that, but it's not actually an instructional designer's role to do video editing. Correct. Yeah. Um at I've never at both in both my positions as an instructional designer, um, both my institutions had a video production, mm-hmm. uh, pre post production team. Yeah. And, um, so they shot the video, they, you know, cut the video intros, extras, and, um, then they passed it off, um, you know, in one location, they did the captions before I received the videos. Now, just kind of a different process. I review the videos and then I submit them for captioning. Yeah, uh, I used to do that and I don't anymore. I don't, um, I actually, we have a student services that work with us, caption editors that will go through, we use Kaltura. So it gives you an auto mm-hmm. caption that just needs to be edited. So we have a student team that goes through and edits captions. Oh, okay. Yeah. We have a paid service that does uh, captions, but now mm-hmm. because I'm working with so many bilingual courses and I'm not talking about foreign language courses, but separately bilingual courses where they're speaking right. in Spanish and English mixed, um, we have a whole separate uh, group that we work with for captioning for that. We're just getting that set up and I'm, I'm so excited for that. That's cool. Like that move, that positive direction. Um, that's really cool. The, um, the other thing that I was thinking about that's um, can be included in your role, but not always is um, quality review. So you may, um, we have an internal process for, for a review of our courses. So each course that goes through our cycle of course development goes through both an accessibility review and quality matters, which is the quality assurance for online courses. Um, but I've been at several institutions that didn't do review of any sort Mm -hmm. or sent it out and had it reviewed externally from our team. Um, so you may do some access. I do actually a lot of accessibility and inclusion, um, but that's like something that's part of my role 
that I've always really enjoyed. And I've carried that like thread throughout each of the jobs I've had. So I really enjoy it, but sometimes um, you may not do that. Like you may not have to provide more quality assurance. Yeah, we, um, I think a lot of that falls on instructional designers. And then um, we also have post-production um, reviews and what's called continuous improvement projects. Um, and those are usually the newer instructional designers. They're working on specific items from courses that could still be improved or expanded upon. Because, yeah. you know, because... Um, if you've ever been a teacher, you know, you're always and continuously updating content. And mm-hmm. um, when you move online, that first version of that course may not be um, the best version or after the first time you run it, it often comes back for some adjustments to better serve, hopefully to better serve the students um, as well as create better alignment. But, um, so we have a group that does that continuous improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is, um, again, it's like what it's, it's, uh, always an instructional design. It could be included. It may not be (laughs) right. Uh, Right. Yeah. And I was going to mention, um, one thing that can be fun and it might be like adjacent. So I've done, um, curating resources for SMEs, but more, more specifically, just curating resources for our center um, for assessment, um, teaching, and technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to provide on the website, to make available um, for faculty who are interested in learning more, whether that's mapping or how to do podcasting or mm-hmm. just like some of the things that they want to consider or, you know, creating just basic evergreen content. And rarely we do workshops. My team has a whole um, whole group dedicated to just um, just teaching. Yeah, and they do a lot of the a lot of the workshops. Um, however, as an instructional designer, because I'm uh, QM certified, I've done the. Um, I think it's the PRC, I'm QM certified PRC, all the initials. Yeah, uh, peer reviewer, of course, for yeah. anybody that yeah. wants to know what that is. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a peer reviewer as well as um, the a facilitator. A facilitator. So I facilitated um, some internal workshops for QM uh, as well as reviewed internal um, internal courses for QM. For yeah. those course, the courses that are interested in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it makes me think about other questions that I typically get to about like, what do I like about the role? What are what's mm. challenging about the role? What but what, what might people not know about the role if you hadn't been an instructional designer? And um, Jess, you and I kind of talked a little bit about this beforehand. Uh, before we started recording. And um, my previous career, um, for folks who don't know, was in counseling. And then I moved into advising, and then I transitioned into instructional design. And counseling and advising are caseload dependent. So you have, you know, four counseling clients or five students that you see in the day, and that's your day. So your day is literally talking to people, you have very similar conversations most days, um, and you have kind of like a to-do list that it happens and restarts every day, you check it and it's done. And so I remember feeling really productive in that role, almost too productive. I felt like I had um, maxed out and hit, you know, that glass ceiling pretty quickly. And uh, when I transitioned over into instructional design, I was struck by how project-based it was. And the projects usually span multiple weeks, if not months, yeah, um, if not years, depending on the role, oh, right? Right. Yeah. Depending on the, depending on the project, like, are you doing yeah. one course? Are you doing a whole program? Yeah, uh, you know? yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I just, uh, for me, it didn't feel like I go, I work, I have the same structured day where I'm checking off the boxes and then I like, you know, wipe my hands clean at the end of the day. And then I come back and start all over. To me, it was um, like, oh, I have a project where I'm developing a workshop for faculty and it's taking five weeks to do it. So Mm -hmm. each day I come in and I'm just kind of 
uh, almost like Groundhog Day. It like felt to me like I literally was like in a never ending project. And then I didn't feel, I had a hard time actually with that transition. I didn't feel as productive as I had felt when I had like a checklist for the day. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a different experience for me in that I had to like wrap my mind around like what is project-based work. And if I like take, you know, if I take a vacation day, the the job doesn't go away. The project no. is still on my plate when I come back. And so that was just a different mindset shift I had to um, to adjust to. Not necessarily a bad thing, just a different role. I wasn't used yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, I, I've had jobs that were very like checklist, go in and go out um, at the end of the day. And I like checklists. I'm very type A. Um, I love organization. I, my father is the type, if you're on time, you're late. So you better be early (laughs) kind of person. And so that is my, I like to be early. I like to have checklists, Yeah, but instructional design, you have to be proactive and an initiator. So you really have to think about what, what, kind of checklist you might make yourself. So I make myself checklist now. Um, sometimes I'll make them days ahead of the time, ahead of time. Like if I have to, um, what we call chunk things out, because that's often the process with the project. It's not going to happen in a day. It's going to take a month, um, you, you know, or, or four months. I have to add those do break yeah. it into smaller chunks. Yeah. Um, just like thinking about cognitive load for our students. It's cognitive. It's like when you scaffold a paper across the semester. Yeah. So I would say I'm a professional scaffoldor, (laughs) if you can say that uh, for myself, because I have to have those small milestones for myself to make myself feel like I've accomplished what I needed to, to make progress. Um, It's very similar to a marathon. That's how I described it in one of my interviews. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It totally is a marathon. It just, it just doesn't feel like you get, for me, it was, it was just needing more of the completeness. Like I felt like I couldn't complete my day because my projects weren't done, but that's not true. It's just a different way. You know, you have to really kind of wrap your mind around that. So, yeah, so I, it is a different way. Uh, you know, I came from teaching, so there is a lot of connection from teaching. I I taught in high school for one year, about a year and a half, um, and then I came back to higher education. And um, as a faculty member in higher ed, I really, um, it's, you know, I taught, I planned, I graded. Mm-hmm. It was very repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was teaching basic foreign languages at the community college Um, and so it wasn't, I just added things onto my plate to feel more challenged. Like I do research and publication and that sort of stuff. Um, so I like to feel challenged and, but, um, as an instructional designer, it doesn't need to be repetitive while I might do design work. I, like I said, I kind of scaffold out those projects throughout the week. So I'm working on different projects, Mm -hmm. um, throughout the week, but I do create one thing I, I think is nice. I don't know if you do this when I want, I need to dive deep into design, like really need to get work done. I have to set it aside like a couple hours. I can't just set aside like 30 minutes. I won't, I won't accomplish enough. And it's not enough time to get like get in design mode. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I just hate like starting something and not being able to finish it. That's for me. It's, it's like, I just want to be able to finish the project or whatever, like the part of the project that I'm wanting to do. So I would never start something if I only had 30 minutes (laughs) because it will never take 30 minutes. I can promise anybody it will always take much longer than you think. Maybe that's another challenging part to it. Right. It always takes longer. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think those, I think some other smaller things, which you might do this more than I do, but um, there is some mentoring depending on your mm-hmm. role as an ID, you might get the opportunity to mentor with more experience. You might get the opportunity to mentor other IDs. Um, and then um, depending on your skill set, you might 
like I said, do specialty projects. If yeah. you're if you're also a front end developer or back end developer, um, you might get pulled into projects, which I enjoy that. Yeah, I I love getting pulled into projects too. But I will say, you have to really be assertive and hold <laughs> boundaries as an instructional designer in higher ed. Probably anybody in higher ed. Yeah. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, because you're getting asked to do 18 things and you probably are excited about all of them. I know that I have been a yes person and that has opened up some really incredible opportunities for me. And it has also made me stressed beyond belief because I have overexerted myself. <laughs> and so you have to like be able to say no and yeah. be assertive with your boundaries. Understand that design takes time and be able to give yourself that time back. But I also think you need to be assertive and like project management with faculty yeah. because faculty are also horrifically busy. <laughs> so they have, you know, like I just had somebody um, that I'm working with who just submitted for um, promotion and that's a huge undertaking submitting for promotion, especially when you're um, tenure track. And so you have to do all these extra things, plus you're doing research, plus you have a teaching load, and then they're also coming to us and developing a course, right? So yeah. um, we're not their first priority, but we've got to help them get to where we need to go in a timely manner and in a way that is helpful for everybody. And so you have to work on being assertive and not say like, oh yeah, it's okay, like no worries. Um, it's saying like, hey, just so you know, when... Um, here are the deadlines that we've got set. Here's what that means. So when we don't, you know, complete a module, it really puts us back and here's why. And that's why we want to be able to stay on track. What do you need to stay on track? What's realistic for you? What roadblocks do you have? Like it's working through that um, seemingly procrastination, which it could be procrastination. It could just be the faculty are really busy. Um, it's working through that with them and helping them you know, problem solve for themselves so that they can help you help themselves. <laughs> so you have to be assertive in that way too. Absolutely. And one thing that kind of like a domino effect, if a faculty doesn't hand off content on time to you and then you get stuck um, with very heavy looming due dates. And mm -hmm. for, for example, a faculty, um, I'm doing a couple summer developments and faculty was like, oh yeah, I'm going to record these videos and, um, mid July. And I said, okay. Um, and I said, so are we captioning those? He's like, yeah. And I want them in play posits. And wow. I said, oh, okay, so do you do your own play posits? Because some of our faculty absolutely do their own play posits. I've actually had a lot of faculty do their own play posits. He said, oh, no, last time the instructional designer did all of those for me. Yeah. And I said, well, this is work that um, I can help you with, but it really depends on you getting those videos. And I can't get those videos August 1st. Right. Um, because I have, I have five other projects I'm mm. working on as well. And if I have 20 videos to do play, I won't be able to get those done yeah. um, in that time matter. So I think it's also kind of looking ahead and seeing like recognizing your own limitations with your own workload. Mm -hmm. So uh, while you want to be flexible with faculty and support them, you also need to clarify, listen, I can't building a course. I've also said to a faculty member um, that wanted to build a course in a week. Um, I said, that's, that's not course development. That is course prep. Yeah. That's course yeah. prep. We're not doing course prep. We are actually right. developing a full semester of a course with all the videos done with all of the content done. Um, we can't do that in a week or even two weeks. Mm -hmm. and um they were very disappointed about that yeah but yeah. I had to set expectations realistically yeah um, but it's yeah an involved process like course development takes longer for everyone you know it's not just right. for us it's for faculty too and I think that they unless you've done it before I don't think they realize how time intensive it is and so yeah, you have to be assertive and explain why you're doing what you're doing and help them, you know, the best way that you can. So, right. And I think kind of the last thought on, on that piece is 
um, we really like to teach the faculty how to fish. Yes. Yeah. If you can, if you can. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, because, um, uh, sometimes, although I will set up, um, the grade book for the faculty, when we're initially developing the course, we, we kind of like set it up and we help them like navigate those things. If they want to set it up, I also let them set it up. Um, but, um, I also have faculty who come back and say, oh, I need this done to my grade book. I said, well, so once um, your grade book's set up, if you want to make changes, those are really the, the faculties. Yeah. These are things that faculty um, need to do. And what right. I can do is I can support you in helping you set up an appointment with our D2L group. And they give little workshops or quick meetings about how to set up your gradebook, And they can assist you with that by showing you how to do it. They'll walk you through the process. Oh, that's nice. And that kind of sounds like a handoff, but what it really is, is that's, that's what our D2L team does. They work yeah. with faculty showing them how to do the things because there's not enough instructional designers. Yeah, uh, there's not, there never is. <laughs> do all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. So going from like duties and the day and the life of to the question we always get, but Christy, what about the tech? What tech do you use? Do you need to use articulate storyline? <laughs> no, the answer is no. <laughs> right. Well, but, but we do use a lot of tech. So let's, let's reframe what, what tech looks like um, in instructional design and what maybe what the important thoughts about tech might be. I think my biggest one is you just got to approach it as, you know, it's not one tool and the tools are constantly changing. Mm -hmm. um, so being tech savvy and willing to learn is like my, like my number one, you can't, you can't predict the future. Yeah. Uh, or the new tech tools, you can't predict those. Um, so just always like that lifelong learner in terms of technology. I think that's a great way to approach it. I agree. And I liked what you said earlier too, about um, not letting the tech determine the pedagogy, but letting the pedagogy determine the tech. Right. Um, and it reminds me, uh, I, we're going to talk about our favorite books and stuff too at the end, <laughs> but um, there's a book I'll recommend again called Intentional Tech. And I just really love um, the premise of that, of like, you don't design with tech in mind. You design with best pedagogy in mind, inclusive pedagogy, accessible pedagogy, interactive, engaging pedagogy. And then you mm -hmm. see, hmm, can I do this with uh, as little tool as possible? Usually it's the LMS for higher ed. So that's D2L, Canvas, Blackboard, Moodle, um, are just a few of them, but um, some I used to have a proprietary LMS, <laughs> which is a tough LMS. Um, yeah. But um, if you can do it in the LMS without having to bring something else in, do that. Like you don't yeah. have to make it all shiny and fancy because the students don't know what they don't know, and they're not exposed to all of these ed tech tools in the same way that we are. So. As long as it supports best pedagogy, then I think that's the way to do it. And I love your idea of having kind of like a growth mindset with um, with tools and just saying, you know, tools are going to continue to change. Even what's really popular right now, I think will probably not be popular in the next five years, next 10 years. Um, I mean, AI has come in and changed everything, right? And that's right. Just in the last few months. And so you can never predict how t tools and tech will change. And I think just being curious, being investigative, mm -hmm. having a figure outable attitude. Um, yeah. I think that's the way to go for sure. But we do have some, like, I would say categories of tools that we use pretty frequently, right? Ab absolutely. And I think you've had um, different experiences than I have. And I think that just represents the diversity um, that you'll find it within the roles in um, instructional design and higher ed. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I really wanted to emphasize um, also kind of just looking back at interviews because people, uh, folks often get stressed out about interviews. What if I don't know the tech? What if I, uh, you mm -hmm. know, what, what do I say when they ask me about tech? And I, all of my experiences have um, 
really been positive, even if I didn't know the tech, I, I've always stated, I'm tech savvy mm-hmm. and I'm happy to learn to use any tool you're using. Yeah. It's a skill. That's you it. You can learn it. Um, yeah. I've never, so it's, it's not about, do you know all the tools? It's really about, are you willing to learn the tools that you need to do your job? Yeah, I agree. Cause, Cause every university is going to have different things. It is. Yeah. Every university has an LMS, which is a learning management system. Those right. are the ones I just mentioned, Canvas, Blackboard, D2L, Moodle, um, right. Brightspace, you know, whatever. And that's just the place to house the courses. So every, every higher ed institution will have that. So if you, yes. and if you know how to use one, you can figure out the other one. Um, they're all pretty similar. Uh, so it's really nice to be able to use that. And then what are some other things that like every place uses? What do you think, Jess? Um, well, I mean, every place uses ed tech. I mean, there yeah, is, true. um, you know, off you'll start off with your, with your box per se, your environment, which is your LMS. And then depending on the capabilities of your LMS, um, different institutions will kind of do add-ons of your third-party tech um, to enhance the LMS, right? right? And and to enhance the learning um, experience online. So some of of those popular ed techs um, that I've used and been exposed to is like VoiceThread, PlayPay, I already mentioned PlayPosit. Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, you've used Kaltura and um yeah, and that has like quizzes and videos. So it's very similar to PlayPosit. Yeah, I I will say that I've heard um from my ASL faculty that they really like they really appreciated Kaltura mm-hmm. um because of the video box. I oh. haven't used Kaltura, but um because you have to be able to visually see everything for ASL, um they really they said it, Kaltura was one of their favorites, just as interesting, nice. interesting note. Yeah, um, nice. um, Panopto Yellow Dig has become really popular. I do like Yellow Dig, but you know what? Um, I, I've used Yellow Dig at ASU before, and then I haven't used it since. What I loved about Yellow Dig is that they basically are just trying to make the discussion less about like post a prompt, like right. respond to a um paper prompt and then everybody says the same thing and then everybody right. says I liked your response <laughs> right <laughs> yellow dick just um they have a, a really cool system where they'll um use like tagging uh, in mm-hmm. it because it's like social media ask but I think that they just are able to use like discussion prompts that make sense that are truly going to facilitate discussion. And I think you can do that in a discussion. I'm sorry for any yellow dig person that's listening to this. I think you can do this in a regular discussion. You just need to ask better questions. <laughs> you know, right. like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to necessarily, and I'll say this for all of the ed tech, actually, most of the time you don't have to use that specific ed tech. You could probably use the LMS and you uh-huh. just need a finagle it and finesse it a little bit and then it'll work the way you want it to and I think yellow dig's one of those examples yeah um actually we were a colleague of mine are teaching a UDL and UX design course this fall mm-hmm. and we're using discussions because mm-hmm. everybody knows the bad discussion prompt um yeah. and we're using discussions as like how can you apply a UDL to discussions and yeah. all of the all of that framework and so yes i absolutely agree you can create more engaging uh discussion prompts and you can do that within the LMS mm-hmm. um but you also depending on your uh institution might have access to other third party tools if you like if you like those right yeah yep um I've used H5P quite a bit because I've done quite a bit of OER in foreign languages. Fantastic. Yeah. Like, oh, there's a lot. Yeah. Interactives, but just even thinking like the lower end of um, Bloom's really great opportunities there for mm-hmm. engagement. Um, yep. I haven't used Lumi. Um, have you Lumi? used Lumi? Yeah. So you can use, um, you can actually use Lumi alongside H5P 
as an open source. (laughs) So H5P has the .org version and the .com version. H5P.com is paid. H5P.org is free and it has all of the like HTML to make their Mm -hmm. interactives, but you can't house it on H5P. You have to have like your own server basically. But Lumi is basically like a widget editor for H5P. Um, so you can use it. You can house it. Yeah. Well, you can't house it, but you can um, edit the interactives better and then export the HTML and house it elsewhere. So it's just an easier way to use it. Interesting. So I haven't used that yet. Um, As a teacher and instructional designer, I've used lots of Padlets. Yes. Padlet is everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And um, as a foreign language teacher, I've used lots of flips. Yeah. Um, Which used to be Flipgrid. Flipgrid used to be Flipgrid. And um, at another institution for those video, kind of that oral, um, oral proficiency development, um, I've used other video tools there's so many video tools, but uh, I used Bongo UCU um, Mm. as well as Flip and um, Loom and and that's a good one for that too. Uh, Yeah, like emoji interactives and um yeah, it's cool. It's got a good interactive component to it that I'll timestamp the interactives or the comments and things like mm-hmm. that. And you can get a free education account. So if you have an EDU uh, email, you can get a free Loom education account. Um, mm-hmm. You can also do, get a free Canva education account with an EDU. I wasn't able to get it. You weren't? Why? No, I don't know. It doesn't, it wouldn't allow me. Oh, um, but Interesting. Well, I'll uh, have to look into that. Yeah. Um, but um, Loom has got some good uh, interactives and Canva is really nice just for creating like I've created some really nice like course homepage banners with Canva and you can use like the GIFs in them to make it like interactive and more dynamic of an image. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I do. I do like Canvas. Um Wait, see, see, I see canvas and then Canva. Canva, not Canva thank you. I like Canva. Can- is I like Canva. One. <laughs> oh, but Canvas yes. is the LMS. LMS, right. I know. I always get this confused. Um, and yeah. we, uh, so yeah. And as a teacher, I've also used a lot Jamboard and mm-hmm. um, I've used that as an instructional designer and G Suite, the Google Suite, um, yeah. just because it's a lot of free open access to some of those basic tools. And I use that as an instructional designer, like to work with my SMEs, um, to share documents. Other people might use Mm -hmm. docs depending on your institution. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, lots of, lots of, um, Google suite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's some like more e-learning development. So that's where like Articulate 360 would come in, which I have used and currently use Articulate for course design, um, but we use it mostly for professional education courses. So those are non-credit courses right. that go out to the community um, and less so with uh, with our four credit courses that go out to our students. But yeah, okay, we do Storyline and Rise. Do I think you need Storyline and Rise? No. Rise is essentially an LMS with some widgets that have some Mm -hmm. interactive components. Super easy to use. Um, If you've used an LMS, you can use Rise. It's so easy. Um, And Storyline, I think, is more just like a PowerPoint that's glorified with some widgets. So um, you can use, if you can get used to the animations, the transitions, how to make something clickable and interactive in PowerPoint mm-hmm. or even Google Slides, you can use Storyline. And, and again, that's a much cheaper alternative than having to like purchase Storyline. And a lot of, a lot of higher ed doesn't purchase Storyline because it's no. really expensive. Right. And so I had access to Storyline um, Rise for when I was doing my instructional design courses, when I was getting um, my master's certificate Mm -hmm. and um, I had paid for it. And it was, it was paid for it. Yeah. And because I thought, because I thought I needed to know the tech. But we're breaking the myth here um, or debunking the myth. Um, I didn't need to know it. 
I, um, is it something I'd like to have more access to? Yes, but I sure. don't need to, I'm not going to pay for kind of, but you don't know. need to. No, no, no. I mean, in my job, I still have never needed to. So this is why yeah. I haven't paid for that. And my department pays for a few um, licenses and, and a few people use those very limited. And those are mostly like professional development mm-hmm. um, courses or even in business, a few particular departments or, or entities that want yeah. those, those types of um, the e-learning development. Yeah. Yep. I do use something called city labs design Mm. tools right now, which I would say is pretty similar to H5P and that it creates like interactive content, but it goes a little step further where it will have like templated design pages. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever had to do like a template that you just copy from course to course to course to course. So design tools has those templates built into it you customize it how you want it and then you can add interactives like knowledge checks and mm. um yeah just like a bunch of like like pop-up content and um yeah it's really nice actually it's the first time I've used it though um but I, I do know like a few colleges use city labs and actually I just did the quality matters rubric update because they yes, just came out to- with I have yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah, they just came out with the seventh edition and the QM course uses design tools. I saw that like the oh. uh, couple of widgets that they used were design tools. So oh, that was cool. kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I think H5P does something very similar. And then like just having a basic understanding of HTML, CSS, it's always helpful. Yeah. Um, but again, not required I definitely don't code but if I if my heading is messing up I can go in and like try and fix it (laughs) yeah that's kind of nice so we have at both of the institutions I've worked at we had special templates um Mm -hmm. at my first institution we got kind of like a menu of templates that we could choose from Mm -hmm. Um, I also started developing my own templates and uh, I created a video widget later the the university or this not the university but the community college adopted the video widget for like video libraries Mm -hmm. and within courses um they're especially helpful for oers that don't use books or those electronic books that you only have access to for six months yeah (laughs) and and then you take a semester off or two semesters off and then you come take the next class and you're like oh i forgot everything (laughs) yeah and you have to like repurchase those books yeah yeah or or you can have a video library depending on depending on the course right yeah um but yeah, HTML and CSS was something I jumped to right when I started. And it was only because um, when I started the job, I was like, just so hyped. Yeah. I, you know, you were excited. I was, I was totally excited. And the job description said I needed to know HTML and CSS. So I was like, oh, I'm taking classes, you know? And, of course you uh, are. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Any, any chance to take some more to classes? learn. Yeah, just is gonna eat. They're gonna, up. they're gonna cut me off. Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, so I got a bit, uh, you know, I dove into that a bit, and um, I don't, um, I don't code as much as I used to, yeah. um, just because we do have we have a public open source uh templating system for our faculty and our instructional designers, and you can edit it and change it, and um, mm. but we needed something super simple like the yeah. most basic of basic so that so faculty can actually drag and drop parts into um, a page and then they just copy the code and paste it into into their page and yeah. um so that's what we use now um nice. so I still code but um just not as much just not as much I'd yeah. like to get I'd like to get back into it um to improve some of my skills but I haven't had time yeah yeah. So I'm aware of our time and I want to do oh, just some yes. like rapid fire. Here are some other tools you might use. So um, we mentioned video editing might be something that you do. It might not be. Um, so I've used um, Adobe Premiere Pro and then mm-hmm. I've also used Camtasia. Um, I've also used Screencast-O-Matic, I just realized too. Oh, yeah. Um, anything different from the video editing for you, Jess? Um, I haven't done a lot of video editing. I've done 
basic video editing. So I've used Loom and mm-hmm. Screencast-O-Matic and YouTube. And YouTube. How can yeah. we forget YouTube? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I haven't really had, and I just started um, learning some audition software. So yeah, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And then accessibility wise, um, you may have to review courses for accessibility or check to make sure that your course is accessible. City Labs, which does the design tools that I mentioned that has like the widgets, mm-hmm. they also have something called You Do It, which is an accessibility scanner. And then they have something called You Do It Advantage. And um, that's just like a You Do It Plus, basically. And it scans your course and your course files for anything that might be inaccessible. So things like images without alt text, using color for emphasis alone, a PDF that's not tagged, those Mm -hmm. things. And it lets you know that it's not accessible. So we that's part of our accessibility review. Um, which is really cool. But I've also used just some online accessibility trackers. So like Ally, um, Wave, um, mm-hmm. and then just color contrast checkers. You can, there's like a bunch of different ones. I think the one I use is like TCGI or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a ton of different accessibility checkers too. Yeah. And then project management. I went, I know that Jess, you use um, monday.com, don't you? Yeah, we use Monday. And when I want to work with my SMEs and share that content, um, I use Google. So I I have a project management kind of tool made out in Google Sheets. Nice. Um, But depending on my SMEs interest and skill level, I might use Sheets or I might just do an agenda. Just a good old agenda. Good old agenda. Keep it simple and straightforward. Um, It really depends on my SME's interest and and level of use of Google Suites, or Mm -hmm. sometimes they want to use Box, but typically Google Suites is, um, that works. Yeah, I would say most of the time I'm not using project management for the faculty. I'm using it for me or for projects for our team. Um, So I've used Trello and Notion a bunch. I've used Asana also. I really like Asana. It's got a good like subtask feature that I think makes a lot of sense. Um, and then we also, for our, all of our projects on our team, we use Smartsheets. So project yeah. management tools are a dime a dozen. They all do very similar things. Right. <laughs> it's just keeping track of what it is that you need to do and when you need to do it by. So um, these yeah. are always nice to kind of explore a little bit too. Yeah. And some very similar to the LMS. It's not that you have to know one project management tool. You Mm -hmm. just have to get the general idea of what project management tools do. And then you adapt to the one that your department wants you to use. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, um, So I think we're getting to the fun part. Yeah. Our favorite books and podcasts and courses. (laughs) Well, mostly books. I think we've just got books and podcasts. I think so. Okay. Um, Tell me one of your fave books. So what I'm actually, um, what I'm actually doing while I was thinking of podcasts. um, Oh yeah. Talk to me about the podcasts. I really like Ed three podcast. Mm, I've never listened to it. Yeah. I like Ed three with Scott Mayer and um, I listen to a lot. I also listen to UX of Ed tech. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to, uh, teach and learn, mm-hmm. uh, with Christy Ford. And I also really love K Pasa HSIs. Yeah. Um, so I listen to kind of a broad range of, um, of podcasts, but those are some of like my more interesting ones. I also like, oh my gosh, I haven't heard it in a while, but it's a UDL a UDL podcast and um, I'm going blank for the moment, but um, it's really good. I just haven't nice. listened to it in a while, but I kind of vary my content on podcasts depending on what topic they're talking about. Right. Yeah. 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 I am. Um, I actually just got introduced to the trends and issues and learning. I think it's what it's called or an instructional design podcast. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that one's cool because it's got like a bunch of research in it. So oh. um, they don't do as much like conversational podcasts, but it's like, here's a trend, here's some research, here's a trend, here's some research on it. So it's kind of nice to be able, like, I just remember when I first was in instructional design, <laughs> we had like a team member that would say like, the research says this. And they're like, what research? Tell us what, where's the article? Help us understand. Right. And um, I kind of like that that podcast like gives you the article and it's all in their show notes. So that's really cool. Um, and then I've also, um, you know, read or listened to the Ed Up Ed Tech podcast. Of course. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one too. So I do enjoy it. I do enjoy that one with Holly Owens. Yeah, Holly Owens is great. Um, but I haven't actually been listening to a ton of podcasts. I know that's kind of ironic as <laughs> as her podcasting right now. Right. I just don't I don't commute in the car as much, and that's when I really listened to them. So um I I work mostly remote. So yeah. I'm doing a lot more reading these days than podcasting. Oh well, I think I'm in the same boat. Um, because I am commuting much less, especially during the summer. I officially am remote, but when campus starts, I start. So mm -hmm. um, during the summer, there's no reason to be in a hundred degree heat walking around campus. There's nobody there. Yeah, <laughs> um, I could write a novel about the strangeness that that appears during the summer, but um, but in the fall, um, be besides the fact that I'm teaching, I also really enjoy being on campus because. I prefer to meet in person when my faculty are available to meet in person. I feel like we get so much more done. Yeah. Um, and I, I also feel like I'm able to really just connect with them better in person. So I spend at least three days a week on campus um, in the fall and spring. Nice. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the so podcast. Tell me a favorite book then. If we're, if we're reading a lot more, tell me one of your faves. Oh, geez. It doesn't have to be your favorite. Just one of your faves. Um, I will say in the last year, I've really, um, broadened my knowledge, um, of HSIs because I've been yeah. a Spanish teacher for a long time and I've been really engaged and connected with the Hispanic community outside the country and in the country and in education for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but I never really knew much about HSIs, uh, this concept of HSI and what it meant and, and that yeah. sort of thing until last, I would say two years, probably. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't either until you told me what it was. And for people who don't know what an HSI is, it's a Hispanic serving institution. Which yeah. means that there's a larger population of Hispanic students at your institution. Actually yeah. CSU is, um, I think going to become an HSI also. Yeah. So yeah, it's a minimum of 25%. Yeah, of your um of your students or of Hispanic origins, and um, so related to that, I really loved uh, Gina and Garcia's "Becoming Hispanic Serving Institutions." Hmm. That was just a really thoughtful book and really opened my eyes to helping me connect my previous self career mm -hmm. with my current self as an instructional designer um nice. and and that I can continue the passion that I've always had um for supporting bilingualism um I can continue yeah. that as an instructional designer so I I really wow. loved that book and I really loved mismatch which is about mismatch how inclusion shapes design by Kat yeah I've got to read that one it was just really good. It wasn't directly related to all the things we do personally, but you, you would connect with it. I think. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, love, I always love inclusion books. And actually one of my faves, we just finished reading with a, a book group um, is called what inclusive instructors do um, by Tracy Marcella Addy and many other folks. I think there's like five authors on that. Yes. There um, are. But it's a, a a great book basically about, I, I relate to it so much because it's basically about knowing who your students are and then making sure that your course, it's designed inclusively and that you teach inclusively based off of who is in the room. And I think that that is just a really special thing. And I didn't ever think about the fact that I didn't know who my learners were until I read that book. And now it's created such big initiatives on my team. So it's been a really cool opening 
um, experience for that. And then another um, like inclusion-based, actually it's more universal design for learning. Uh, mm-hmm. We also read with the book group is um, Reach Everyone, Teach Everyone by Thomas mm-hmm. G. Tobin and Kristen, Kirsten Belling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's a great book for UDL. If, if um, I would say that's like a topic that most people should know in instructional design and especially in higher ed. Um, and if you haven't already dived into UDL, you definitely should. It's, um, it's a great, great, uh, opportunity to design more inclusively as well. Yeah. I, I'm going to touch upon UDL as well. Yeah. Um, I love UDL in the cloud. Uh, it's UDL in the cloud, how to design and deliver online education using universal design for learning. And that's Katie Novak, which you've probably heard of her. She does a lot of work in UDL and Tom Thibodeau. Mm. Yeah. And, um, I really appreciate that when I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm doing a lot of UDL reading these days, as well as UX design and thinking of LXD learning, learning experience design versus user experience design versus instructional design as well as UDL. Yeah. (laughs) It's all good stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, that I think pretty much wraps this up. We talked a little bit about what we do, what we use and what we read and listen to. Yeah. (laughs) There's always more, but I, I think that's a good, I think that's a good summary. Yeah, I think so too. I hope it was helpful for all of our listeners out there and We hope that you'll join us on our next episode of Higher ID. Bye. Adios.